set and match. This is a Sky Sports News Radio podcast. The weekend has unexpectedly delivered two finals that will live long in the memory. Firstly, there's David Nalbandian's disqualification at Queen's for kicking an official, but also Tommy Haas's incredible victory over Federer in Halle. We also speak exclusively to seven-time title winner Dmitry Tursunov, who explains why the Australian Open came closer than we may have realised to a player boycott. And he tells us which player hid naked in somebody else's locker for a joke. You'll find out who right here on Tennis Weekly. This week we're speaking with Barry Cowan. He's going to put us all right in the tennis world. And Barry, you will have seen what happened earlier today. I'll just set the scene. Nalbandian had won the first set 7-6 when midway through the second set he was about to have his serve broken for the second time by Marin Cilic in the set when he got frustrated and launched a kick at the small plywood advertising board around the Lions judge's feet and made him bleed. First of all, Barry, what was your reaction when you first saw that? Remarkable, really. Had to be defaulted, and it sort of reminded me straight away of what happened to Tim Henman at Wimbledon. Was it about 17 years ago when he accidentally uh, hit a ball girl? It was really unfortunate for the for tournament, really unfortunate for the spectators. But rules are rules, and and now Banyan 100% had to be defaulted because you can't condone what he did. Uh, I just hope that the linesman is okay. So you can understand the kind of frustration that pent up inside him. Well, I can understand the frustration because I play professional sport. And at times you, you do want to boil over. At times you do want to get your frustrations. But you have to know what your responsibilities are. And when you're playing in the surroundings of a tennis court, you have to respect certain things. And one of those are the lines people, the ball boys, ball girls, and of course the umpire. You know what you can and what you can't do within the boundaries. Um, for instance, if you hit a ball out of court, you know you're going to get a warning, but that's just going to be it. If you know that if you um, audible obscenity at an umpire or an official, you're in then in danger of getting defaulted. And now Banley would know the rules. Of course, he'd be disappointed that he was defaulted. Of course, he'd be slightly embarrassed. Of course, he'll be frustrated because all his great week's work has gone out the window because he won't get any points. Um, but... I'm afraid that's what happens. Well, let's just clarify what happens here. He loses the prize money he would have otherwise earned, as well as the ranking points, and is subject to a fine of up to $10,000. Now, he was already fined $8,000 for throwing water at a staff member after an altercation with umpire Carden Nooney at the Australian Open following a Hawkeye Challenge disagreement. And uh, the rules, according to Tom Barnes... Now, the ATP have sent us the transcript of his interview following the incident and Tom Barnes who is the tournament supervisor he said that there is nothing in the rules that says he will be suspended for what happened today but do you think that's right? I don't think he should be suspended to be honest I think he's had enough punishment Um, of course he wouldn't have wanted the week to end the way it is but I always always feel with something like that with Nalbany and the best way to soften the blow is just to give some money to charity come out straight away and say I'm going to give a certain amount um, and, and let's hope it, for him it, it can sort of move on and, and he can go into Wimbledon. Um, of course, he's, he'll be confident with the matches he's won, but of course he'll be slightly embarrassed. And it'd be, it'd be real shame if Nalbanian was remembered in this country, oh, he was that player that got defaulted at Queen's, as opposed to the player, of course, that has been such a high quality for all those years. And made the final at Wimbledon here, of course. And- yeah, 10 years ago. And afterwards, he, when he spoke in the on-court interview, he firstly apologised, and then 
he turned to the ATP, saying that sometimes you feel so much pressure from the ATP to play a lot of tournaments, trying to play in wet conditions, and the ATP don't do anything for us. Everybody makes mistakes, and I don't feel I have to end like that, especially in the final. What did you make of those words? Ridiculous. I'm sorry he let himself down there, Adam, because... Yes, he might have a, a gripe against the ATP. There's certain situations, and you mentioned that Kader Nooney incident, of course, that, although that was in an ITF event at the Australian Open. He might have various situations in the past that he feels that the ATP have let him down, but come on, now was today was not the time to let out your frustration. I think you just have to go quietly and try and move on. But by saying that and sort of trying to turn a defence into attack, to me, was just a big, big error. And the, the, to be honest, the ATP should come down and hard with that, not more than, than actually probably the instant on the court. What do you think they will do? Well, I, I, I'm sure they'll just try and let it blow over for a couple of days. I'm sure they'll talk about it. And I'm sure they'll probably give him a fine um, uh, for, for what happened on the court. Uh, I don't think they'll probably um, do anything for his comments. Um, so I think it's just ill-timed. I mean, the last thing you want for a player when he's done wrong is to try and blame someone else. Well, after the final, I spoke to the former Wimbledon semi-finalist, Jonas Bjorkman, who is former president of the ATP Player Council, about the events at Queen's. Well, I, I think it was unfortunate. I, I don't think David really planned it. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's nothing you can do, really. Once it happens, you know, it, it is... Uh, it is game over. Well, he loses his prize money and is subject to a fine of up to $10,000. Do you feel that's a fair enough punishment or should it be even worse than that? What's your opinion? I think it's hard to say. Uh, in all other sports, you don't... Uh, you get penalised, absolutely. Uh, but I'm not sure if you're losing your points in any other different sports. So I'm I'm a little... A little confused about the points, but uh, definitely it should be a fine, absolutely. When a player has previously been punished, do you feel that that should be taken into account as well, or should it just be treated as an isolated incident? Every incident is different, uh, so uh, that's uh, maybe the only grey area when it comes to uh, the rule. The rules are there, but I think w- when it comes to the fine, because I think it, it really depends which country you are in and, and uh, which supervisor who, who who was there watching it i think it's been a little bit so and so regarding the fines actually i think sometimes it's been some really bad stuff and uh, you you don't get penalized at all just a small fine and then you can do something smaller and all of a sudden you have a bigger fine so i think that's maybe something that uh, gail bradshaw and, and and his team could look at well afterwards david nalbandian spoke on court and gave his interview and said sometimes you feel so much pressure from the ATP to play a lot of tournaments and then trying to play in wet conditions and he didn't feel as if he should have been defaulted he believes that the rule should state that yes he can be punished afterwards but he should be allowed to finish the final what do you make of that if you have the rules that it is it is a match penalty then that, that's the same in in, uh, in in soccer i mean if you get uh, a couple of yellow cards and then get a red uh, well, uh, get a suspension after i mean it it's it's either a red card or, or nothing well if you were today on the atp player council and president of it what would you be pushing generally to alter scheduling has always been an issue it's been an issue since yeah since i started you know, it would be probably more concerning uh, 
different things like uh, skipping the let call or uh, finding new uh, new small things to improve the game. Well, let me throw something at you. What about the um, time taken between points? And I'm sure you know which players in particular I'm referring to at the top of the game. <laughs> well, uh, I can uh, totally agree that I, I think we should. Uh, I think even Lubicic actually um, said that that uh, they should be like in basketball. You you just have a clock or a watch, but uh, you know who comes out after 25 seconds. You have a you have a sound. If you're too late, you're too late. That then maybe like first you have a warning and then uh, point penalties, and then I think you can improve. Yeah, and, and what are you doing with yourself nowadays, Jonas? Well, I got the great, great position of being the marketing director for If Stockholm Open, uh, our tournament in October. Uh, so I'm working closely with uh, Thomas Johansson, who is the tournament director. Hello, We're also you. working uh, close to our tournament in Borstad, who is uh, straight after Wimbledon. And have you heard from Robin Söderling at all about his possible return? Because his last tournament was in Borstad, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Borstad last year. I mean, that's also someone who's been really unlucky and... Uh, you know, so far it's uh, still no news uh, when he can uh, be back, and uh, I really hope he can uh, he can have a shot to to come back. And if he puts the effort in, I have no doubt that he will be back in the top ten. This is a Sky Sports News Radio podcast. Former president of the ATP Player Council, Jonas Bjorkman, principally giving us his thoughts on the events at Queens involving David Nalbandian. This, Barry, has taken away the moment from Marin Cilic. He's won his first ever grass court title, his first title since October last year, but he couldn't really celebrate, could he? No, it was always a, a very difficult position, really, if you're if you're that type of player. I think you just have to, uh, you know, feel for your opponent. Um, probably glad it didn't happen to him. I mean, I think when any sportsman sees that, it's, thank heavens, that wasn't me. Um, and, but for Cilic, it's nice to see him back to some sort of form. He... His season last year was disrupted by the injury. Uh, slow start this year um, with the injury as well, but he's starting to, to show the form that, that he showed a few years ago when, when he pushed Murray in the uh, Australian Open. Yeah. Well, let's just touch on Queen's itself and the organisers. It's been such a tough week for them. They were worried about losing headlines to Haller because of the players, the calibre of players that have gone there, including Nadal. No Djokovic at Queen's this year as well. But now they do have headlines, all for the wrong disappointing reasons. Combining that with the rain and the seeds tumbling out as well, it's just been so difficult for them, hasn't it? It has, but that can happen. You get certain weeks that uh, the top players can lose early and you know it's, it's up for the other players to stand up and be counted. But of course, when you have Murray and Song in the drawers, your one and two seeds, your headline acts, you know, no tournament wants to see them lose early. But the, the, the men's tour is incredibly strong. Um, you only have to look at Haller, where Tommy Haas was able to beat Federer in the final there. Haas, of course, a wild card at Wimbledon in, in, in eight days' time. So, Well, I'm glad you've touched on Tommy Haas there. What a day for him. And it's a shame for him as well that he's been overshadowed by what's happened at Queen's because he's 34 years of age. He's coming back from numerous injuries, including surgeries on his hip and shoulder. And he played extremely well today, beating Roger Federer on grass in straight sets. You've got to hand it to him. Absolutely. And I'm sure what's happened in Queens won't be hitting the headlines in the, in the tennis scene in Germany. I think they'll be focusing on their own tournament, focusing on what Haas did, which is remarkable. To be the age that he is, to have had the injuries that Tommy Haas has had 
and to come back and be playing as well as he's been doing, not just this week, but in in the previous months. You know, the, my, my memory of Tommy Haas was a few years ago when he made the semi-finals at Wimbledon and he served and volleyed first and second serve. So, uh, you know, serve and volley tennis is not dead on grass. And let's hope that, that Haas can, can have another good showing at Wimbledon. The top seeds won't want to play him, that's for sure. Well, maybe not Roger Federer. And after that defeat, does it alter your belief that Roger will win Wimbledon? No, it doesn't. Not because of what I've seen this week. Not because of what I saw at the French Open, where obviously that, you know, naturally enough, you'd say Nadal is the favourite or Djokovic. But I just feel with the way his year's been going, he's been winning a lot of those close matches. And he beat Raonic in the quarterfinals, 7-6 in the third. You know, we shouldn't forget that it was, it was what, eight days ago, he, had, he lost in the semi-finals of the French Open. The women's tournaments, they've been overshadowed this week as well by what's happened on the men's side. But Elise Cornet, she won her first title in four years, beating Janina Wickmeyer in the final of Badgastein. And in Birmingham, well, they've had to deal with terrible weather as well. Yelena Jankovic, she's having to play three matches in a day, concluding with the final, which, as we record this, hasn't even started. So you'll have to find that out yourselves, I'm afraid. Now... To a current player who isn't afraid to share his opinion, Russia's Dmitry Tursunov. He isn't having the best of years. He had to wait until Roland Garros to win his first match of the year, which has seen his ranking drop to 66, or that's what it was last week. And now he heads to the Netherlands to defend his title at Sir Togenbosch. Now, I wanted to talk to him about some of the important talking points in the game currently. But first, with Wimbledon only days away, I asked him what his aims were. Me and Roger Federer, let's put it that way, have slightly different goals at the moment. You know, for him, winning slam is really important. And for me right now, it's important just to get matches under my belt. So whether it's futures, challengers, it's not really as important to me right now as just finding my way back into playing matches. So I'd just like to touch on a couple of the key topics of the game today. One of the most important ones is money. Now, I was reading the blog of the former top 60 player, Amir Delic. Um, mm-hmm. He was highlighting the problems regarding prize money, that there isn't enough for those at the bottom end of the top 100 and lower. But the thing is, when people hear that a tennis player will pick up a cheque for, say, £14,500 for being defeated in the first round at Wimbledon, they'll say, well, how can they complain? I guess everything is in relation. You know, If we compare ourselves to a um, football player, then obviously we're very poor. If we compare ourselves to uh, like a plumber then we're making quite a bit. The bigger issue is is that how long that period of, of your money-making ability is. And, uh, you know, Amir Delic, uh, he was in top 100 or in top 60 for, what, one, two years. So, yeah, he might have made two or 300000 in that one year, but he might have spent close to a million in travel expenses, and uh, and so he might have broken even in some, in some ways. He might have uh, made a little bit of money, but you also have to realize that he's now 29, and what are the odds of him making it back into 100, and what are the odds of him making a, a living based on tennis up until French Open tournament started, and between January, I haven't made a single penny. Well, Al- um, Delic was also saying that the Australian Open was in jeopardy of not taking place at all because of a possible strike. It wasn't that serious, was it? I wouldn't say that it was very close. It was a lot closer than it has been in years. Uh, I don't think the Australian Open was targeted as a, you know, you know, it was not the target of the of the players' complaint. The players were complaining in general. It was more about, you know, let's say if we're comparing to basketball, you know, basketball players make a certain percentage of what 
the actual sport industry does. So, you know, if, if there's a, a T-shirt with NBA logo sold, then players get a certain percentage of it. Do you see positive steps being taken in this regard to improve it for those who aren't at the very top? To be honest, I don't... Um, you know, I'm sure that if there are steps, they probably will be in the, in the in the right direction for the players, and especially the talks of strikes and the grand slams. Uh, uh, I'm sure that that has not gone gone unnoticed. And I think also, um, you know, you know, we can't just sit and and demand to get paid more. So, how are you going to get this point across, Dimitri, as a group of players as a whole? Because it's a nice idea what you're suggesting, but somehow you've got to portray this to those at the top of the game. And I think I think that's probably the biggest issue. It's all rowing in different directions and we're making a lot of noise and commotion but there's not a great deal of movement. Uh, how we get that point across is going to be very difficult for me to answer because you know I wish I knew. If I had the answer I'd probably be able to voice it. So given the difficulties of unifying everybody, do you fear that it's just going to continue as it is then? Uh, well, you know, there's really no other option. It, it is going to continue. I'm pretty sure there isn't going to be any any serious actions taken by the players because it would be very similar to 10, 15 players striking, but, you know, nobody's even going to notice that. Well, we've been far too serious for too long now. Let's finish off with something <laughs> much more light. Well, nowadays you're an agony uncle. Do you enjoy doing this, the agony uncle thing? Um, it's, it's well, you know, I feel like babysitting a little bit here and there, but I take it in two parts. I enjoy um, obviously making fun of people, but I also feel that there's a way of, of delivering a message without being too serious. Well, let's just elaborate on what it actually is. Let's explain. So, people write in to the tennis space. That's the website it's on, and they tell you about tennis problems that they have. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, uh, well, it's not necessarily based on tennis. I think it's just any. It, 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 usually, it's related to tennis simply because still a tennis player but the the basis of it is, is they, yeah basically they, any problem that they have they can write me um, their problem and ask for my opinion or my solution and, and I try to I try to help them well, this uh, sounds as if it could get pretty deep it could be talking about all sorts of things they are pretty deep the guy is trying to figure out um, well I, I don't want to give it away but you know the guy wants to convert uh, religions just simply so he can marry a couple of uh, tennis players so um, <laughs> it is pretty difficult, and I do feel a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit of responsibility. Do, do you have to draw a line there and say, "Sorry, that's outside of my domain," or do you try and help? No, no, no. I mean, it is, you know, all it is is that they're asking for my opinion. It doesn't, you know, I'm not saying that my opinion is correct. Uh, I, I will try to be reasonable, and uh, if I can make fun of of that person along the way, then that's that's great. And, and do you still play pranks on the rest? Do you still use your humor as an asset in the locker room? Um, I haven't done it as often as people think I did, but no, actually, I would say Ladra is probably the craziest person. And why? And, why do you say that? Well, because this guy is just—he doesn't have the breaks. You know, he, you know, you do something crazy, he'll have to one up you, and then, you know, he gets into X-rated territory very fast. Well, go on then. Give us an example of when Michael Ladra's one up to you. Okay, he's—he's—he's he's, he's been uh, hiding in the in a. I forgot who, which player. I think it was Lubicic, but he basically was hiding naked in, in the guy's locker until the guy shows up and opens up his locker, and this guy just comes pops out. Says, you know, hello, bonjour, ça va? You know, kind of runs off. Uh, you know, I, I just I'd love to see him like meet the queen because I have a feeling he might do something <laughs> stupid enough to to embarrass himself. Can you imagine somebody on the women's tour doing that? Hiding naked in a locker for one of the other girls to arrive. Um, you know what I imagine it quite a quite a bit, and uh, well, I have good imagination. This is a Sky Sports News Radio podcast.
the typically jovial Dimitri Tursunov, a joy to speak to. So now it's time to look ahead. Here's Mikey Pereira with a roundup of what tennis there is to come. So where are the top players from the men's and women's games strutting their stuff ahead of the big one at SW19? Well, some big names in action over at the UNICEF Open in the Netherlands. David Ferrer will be hoping to transfer his excellent clay court form onto the grass. The Spaniard won this event back in 2008, but he could face a tricky matchup with Austria's Jürgen Meltzer in the semis. In the women's draw, there are two former world number ones, Belgium's King Kleisters and Serbia's Jelena Jankovic. For Kleisters, this will be her first tournament in over three months after recovering from a hip injury. She could face French Open finalist Sara Arani in the second round. Andy Roddick, currently on a five-match losing streak, has accepted a wild card into the Aegon International at Eastbourne. He kicks off in the first round with an All-American clash against Sam Querrey. Potentially tasty semi-final between Richard Gasquet and Aussie Bernard Tomic could be one to look forward to there. Marion Bartoli returns to try and defend her title, but could be a tough ask for the French player with Petra Kvitova, Caroline Wozniacki and Anna Ivanovic, some of those in attendance. This is a Sky Sports News Radio podcast. Last few things. Andy Murray not playing competitive action this week despite his early exit to Nicolas Mahou at Queen's. So he goes into Wimbledon with just one grass court match under his belt. Is that wise? Uh, I, I think it was a good move for Murray not to play Eastbourne. He doesn't need to. He's played enough tennis this year, enough excellent tennis. Of course, he, he would have been hampered by only playing the one competitive match on grass, but he's got an exhibition at Stoke Park next week. I'm not sure how many matches he'll play. Grass court tennis is different now to what it was 15, 20 years ago. Barely anybody serving volleys. So Murray will feel confidently that he's able to negotiate his way through the first couple of rounds. And if he can do that, then what happened at Queen's will, will be certainly out of his mind. And I, I think it's also important as well to, you don't want to send the message to the other players you're panicking um, by all of a sudden saying, well, I'm going to take a wild con to Eastbourne. So totally understand Murray's thinking. Sure. And another name we heard there, Andy Roddick. He'll face Sam Querrey in the first round of Eastbourne. That's going to be a tough one for him. He lost to Edouard Roger Vasselin, so he's playing as a wild card there at Eastbourne. Now, he's dampened down reports he'll be playing his last Wimbledon this summer, but he's not won since beating Federer in Miami three months ago. Are you worried about him? Well, he might be forced to stop. Um, not. It might be out of his hands because he's not winning matches. His ranking's dropping. In, uh, he, he was very much forced to, to take that wild card next week at Eastbourne. He needs matches, and, and it's a shame to see Roddick struggling as much as he is. But don't rule out a great player, a great champion, and someone who has the competitive edge that Roddick does, that if he gets a couple of matches, he might do well at Wimbledon. He might make the second week, but unfortunately Roddick's days are gone of being competitive to win Grand Slams. Right, that brings us almost to a close. But just before we go, Barry, I didn't prompt you on this, so you've got to give us a player of the week. Well, undoubtedly, Tommy Haas. There's no doubt in my mind, if you win your home tournament at 34 years of age with the injuries that he's had and beat Federer in the final, then uh, it has to be the German. That brings a close to another edition. Thanks to Barry Cowan, Jonas Bjorkman and Dmitry Tursunov. You can continue to hear the latest big tennis news on Sky Sports News Radio at skysports.com slash radio. Follow us on Twitter at SSN Radio. And if you like, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and let us know what you think by adding your opinion to the list of reviews there. Make sure you're back on the eve of Wimbledon next week with me, Adam Bates, on Tennis Weekly. This is a Sky Sports News Radio podcast.